Hi, welcome to episode two of A Leap in the Dark with John De La Cruz. I'm John De La Cruz, and during this podcast, I'll be having conversations with other creative educators and creative practitioners, discussing how COVID and post-COVID have impacted on the work that we do. Today's conversation is with RJ Thompson, who is an award-winning marketing and graphic design professional, who is currently the, the Director of Digital Marketing in the Joseph M. Katz Graduate School of Business and College of Business Administration at the University of Pittsburgh. Before joining Pitt, he was a tenured assistant professor of graphic and interactive design in the Department of Art at Youngstown State University. That's where I met RJ when he was working at Youngstown. We were participants in, um, in a design incubation event where we were both presenting the work that we do with our students. I was fascinated by what RJ was doing with his students over in Youngstown where they had taken on this massive task of redesigning or rebranding the town of Youngstown. It was fascinating, and we kept in touch ever since. Today, I'm going to talk to RJ about his pedagogies and what happened during COVID and what lessons he learned. What is he going to take into the future? And how does he see the future of creative education and creative practice in light of the pandemic we've all lived through, in light of the changes that we have all experienced? And here we are with RJ Thompson, who is the second guest on A Leap in the Dark with John De La Cruz. RJ, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are. Where, where have you come from? Where are you now? You know, depending on the day, I have to ask myself that question, usually Mondays and Fridays. Um, hey, thanks, John, for, for having me. I'm so glad to, to be a part of, of your podcast and certainly honored to be the, the second episode. Where, where did I come from? You know, I've got an interesting kind of background. I actually, I, you know, I'll, I'll start from, from the, that sort of teaching design perspective. So I have been a designer for 26 years. I'm 37 years old. I've been a graphic designer my entire life. Uh, I started designing graphics for action figures. Like I had a Captain America toy. It, that came without a shield, which is sacrilege. And so I, I, 1995, I got a computer and a printer and I had MS paint and I made Captain America's shield, printed it out, put it on cardboard and the rest is history. And all through my, my adolescence there in my teenage years, I, I skipped onto every conceivable sort of visual medium, uh, not just the fine arts, but you know, animation, 3D modeling, Illustrator, Photoshop, photo manipulation. I did it all by the time I graduated high school. And, you know, it's it's just been such a, a fantastic output for for expressing myself. And, you know, I was I was able to convert it into a career. So I'm one of those people whom, depending on your point of view, is either blessed or cursed where your hobby is your job. And, and John, I'm sure you can relate as, as a designer, like your brain never turns off, right? You're always designing something in your brain, on paper, on the computer, but you're always grinding away. So that has been my entire existence. <laughs> yeah, I, to I totally relate to that. I mean, you know, I started in, in fine art and I'll never forget that conversation I had when I announced, you know, to my parents, I was going to do, I was going to study fine art was what are you going to do for a job after, you know? Right. And I was stumped. I didn't know. I just <laughs> wanted to, I wanted to work in a comic book store. You know, that ultimately was 
the gig I really like aspired to because comics were my life and I, and I loved it. Right. Um, but ultimately, you know, fine art enabled me to, they want me to think creatively to solve problems and to kind of figure things out in a visual way. And I hear where you're coming from, you know, I totally kind of relate. I've always been doing it. And I'm, and yeah, you're always switched on. Right. So it's something I like to pass on to my students as well, that, you need to have a curious mind and you need to be exploring possible ways to kind of visually solve stuff. I quite literally gave that lecture yesterday <laughs> in class, but not to design students, to marketing students, which went over really well. And, you know, just to, just to come back to a little bit about my history, I started teaching graphic design when I was 24. So I entered the teaching field really, really early and I haven't looked back. It's, it's been a great career, but you know, you mentioned comic books cause that was a, a critical staple of my childhood, even to this day, like I'm still reading Marvel comics and everything, but I'd challenge anybody to look at Jack Kirby and John Buscema artwork and not feel like this just massive wave of inspiration crash into you. I really started with some of those, those classic artists. And to this day, like they're just still so inspiring. John Buscema's illustrations on like Silver Surfer, his cover artwork, just sharp and just dynamic. And of course, King Kirby. I mean, what, what can I, well, it hasn't been said about, about him, but I digress. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you know, I could spend all day just talking about comic books and comic book art and the way that you mentioned cover art, you know, it's that, that gateway in, isn't it? You know, you're not going to get that artwork replicated within the comic book, but the story is kind of captured in, in one space, one visual space. And I, I just love it. I mean, I grew up with, with Marvel and DC as well, but, and it, but I really came of age with, the Sandman and other Neil Gaiman comic books or graphic novels, really. I mean, what were they? You know, but they were, they're kind of, so they, they grew up with you. And just the artwork and the storytelling for me was just fascinating and super inspiring as well. I love that you brought up Sandman because I had a, a t-shirt and it was, it was Dream. Mm. And I remember in high school wearing this t-shirt and people were like, dude, you are just so flipping weird. And I'm like, <laughs> you don't edit. I'm off on guard over here. I'm ahead of you. You can think whatever you damn well please. And until you read, you know, Sandman, like, don't talk to me. Yeah, yeah, totally. But we are digressing. But actually, are we really? Because no. ultimately, this is what gets us into creativity and into visual language. And it's something that, you know, if you've been in this gig as long as I have, we were used to doing it in person within a typical studio environment, right? I teach advertising creative and, you know, the world I come from has always existed within an organic space where lots of ideas evolve and serendipity and spontaneity kind of lots of drive your creative practice. And, you know, I don't care if it's uh, for the purposes of advertising or the purposes of design or even fine art practice. It's still the space is kind of sacrosanct almost, right? But then 2020, right? Yeah. 2020 happens. And suddenly it's like, oh, you got two weeks to, to move online. Did you get that sinking feeling of like, oh, heck, what do I do now? No, actually. You know, my, my tale around March 2020 is pretty interesting. 
So I was, you know, if we step back to summer of 2019, before the end of July, at that point in time, I was tenured faculty at a university in Ohio. I was in my second year of, of post-tenure and the university, much like many of the universities in the country, were feeling that enrollment pitch, pinch, excuse me. So that demographic shift hit them like a tidal wave unexpectedly, even though you did the research, you would know it's coming. So what ended up happening was departments were starting to feel the crunch and they were panicking. Communications department wanted to move into the College of General Studies and then create a, a vacuum of void in the Creative Arts College. And in this particular case, communications wanted to take the design program with it. Well, that of course did not go well with the deans and the administrators. And what ended up happening was Sparing you the details, the the administration violated the collective bargaining agreement, particularly our First Amendment right. And I went ape shit. I just I I was seven years into my position and I just said, done. I fought so hard for a tenure track position and then I gave it up just as soon as I got it because there was this threat of muting the faculty, which you may be able to do in, in some disciplines, but not with artists. You just, you cannot do it. So what ended up happening was I, I called my friends up at the University of Pittsburgh and I said, hey, get me out of here. I'll clean toilets. I'll do landscaping. I don't care. I reached a point where I could not grow as an individual in that situation. So sure enough, a, a marketing position opened up and I transferred directly into it, not three weeks later. So now I was staff side after being faculty for over a decade. And it was a really interesting shift. Now, when I started on the staff side, I had also started adjuncting at another university. So when news of my departure hit the ground, you know, a lot of people took notice and, and I got a lot of offers to teach adjunct, do visiting professor gigs, but you know, Pitt is just an amazing school and I wanted to stay put. I, I started teaching interactive design at Point Park and I wrote the curriculum for the interactive design classes and I was thriving. I had the best of both worlds. I had a nine to five where I was making money there. I was still fulfilling my destiny as, as a teacher and other people took notice. The business school at Pitt recognized my background in teaching. They're like, well, how about you teach this marketing class? Now, to be a designer and having had just taught design for over a decade at that point, being able to teach a marketing class was a really exciting prospect. And I would argue that aside from maybe Abby Guido, who we know teaches business classes, artists and designers in higher ed don't typically teach business classes. Um, they may teach some of those business principles in the design context. So yeah, I got to teach a, a brand management class and it was, it was thrilling. I loved it. My course evals were awesome. I felt really re-energized by that. And a few things happened. I got a client for my brand management class where we were going to rebrand the city of Hermitage, Pennsylvania. And then I also got a grant to bring the CEO of Lego North America. I'm a huge Lego nerd, huge Lego artist. And yeah, we got a, a $2,000 grant to bring this guy to Pittsburgh to do a lecture for all the business students. And 
we had enough money left over to buy parts to build the Cathedral of Learning out of Legos. Now, there were two versions. There was one that was like two or three feet. And then there was little handheld ones, you know, that would fit in your palm. And the pandemic, you know, it took the Lego project away from me and my students had some involvement in that, but he didn't take Hermitage away from me. So I pivoted just like the, the rest of us did. And fortunately, I had experience in teaching online. So it was not a hard adaptation for me. For the students, it, it really wasn't much either. But, you know, I got out of that experience relatively unscathed and had a positive experience. And it kind of gave me this idea of like, hey, you know what? You know, you're kind of meant to be in higher ed, but you don't always have to be teaching design. There are other things that you could be doing here. Yeah. And that kind of lit a spark, you know, and being able to teach marketing now from the perspective of a designer, I'm bringing so much new thinking. And, and I don't mean to say that egotistically. I mean, this ground has been tread upon, but for me, it's new, right? So it also benefits my students. The one thing that I got out of the class, uh, amongst many things, but one of the core critical pieces of learning that I got was the marketing students felt underserved. They, they had all the philosophy and maybe a lot of strategy of marketing. They didn't have to practice. And that was something that I brought to the table and I literally showed them how to do all these different things and, and it went over really well. So the pandemic was good to me. I know that's a really kind of screwed up way to say it, but I experienced a significant amount of success pre-vaccine pandemic and even to this point in time. So it feels off kilter, off balance for me. With all of the just chaos going on in the world, why are all of these really great things happening to me? And I think the way I ultimately looked at that was the world keeps moving and luck is when opportunity meets preparation. And I'm always prepared for something. And I'm just thinking about making new things constantly. It's just constant progress. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think it's really good. I mean, we'll return to the positives later on because I, I do believe that there's been a lot of positivity coming out of this for us as educational practitioners, certainly, right? And the whole idea of finding something new, of discovering, of adding to this interdisciplinary future that we should all be heading into. I think that's awesome. And kudos to you for bringing design into a business school because damn, they need it. You know, they really do. Otherwise they're underprepared, right? I'm just waiting for the, the right business school. And I'm hoping it's mine to say, we need design to be a core piece of our curriculum. Even yeah. if it's like a design thinking course or intro to graphic design, even just teaching people how to look at things differently, look obliquely, mm -hmm. you know, versus just straight ahead would have such a significant impact on business students, be they marketing, supply chain, HR, whatever. Design is universal. It is. And it's not always about an image on a piece of paper or on a screen, right? It's always about how we change systems and how we make things and improve on things that are already existing as well. And this is, this is a question rather than a prompt. 
I wonder what your educational pillars are. What are your pillars of education, right? I mean, give me three words, three, three things that you identify as meaningful to you when it comes to your educational practice. And it could be sustainability or ethics or any other words. You know, that's such a great question. I love that. I wouldn't say feasibility, desirability, and viability. Hmm. Those are the three words that I would use. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like that. And this actually reaches back to, you know, something that you learn about in interactive design. Essentially, the intersection between viability, feasibility, and desirability is your goal. And if you apply that thinking to literally anything that you do, you're basically trying to create the best possible outcome, regardless of the situation, regardless of the context. So I really try to put desirability from the human perspective, viability from a business or operational point of view, and then feasibility from an access or technology point of view into all the things that I'm doing. It's not always possible and it's not always easy. In fact, it's never easy, mm -hmm. but I think it's necessary. Yeah, it's, it's UX thinking, isn't it? Ultimately, you know, I think that we have all really brought things which now define what we call UX design. We're bringing that into practice. And maybe the pandemic has accelerated this. I mean, personally, I did have that sinking feeling, but it was one of those moments where you have to eat, rise up to the challenge and, and come up with something that's not just going to tread water, but is actually going to engage, innovate and excite. And many of us did. Many of us did. And I think, this, like you mentioned before, the students did do too. But maybe it's because they are digitally literate. Do you think they are? I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. Give that to me one more time. Let's think for a moment about, you know, the generation of students that we're educating right now, that we're training. We tend to think of them as, you know, as digital natives, just to, to coin, a, coin a phrase. They've been brought up with technology, they multitask across devices, and they're super competent, right, in, in handling all of this. But are they truly literate with digital culture? So in different aspects, and, you know, this is interesting to me because I'm teaching a web design course at a community college right now, where most of the students are Gen Z. I've got some baby millennials of which, you know, I'm an elder millennial at this point, but I've got baby millennials and, and Gen Z. So it's, it's really a, a nice mix of, of folks. And in some cases, the digital natives are just that. They are digital natives. They get the technology, but to what extent is what differs. So for example, I think the digital natives understand how technology changes the world. Even thinking about it, Generally, it all connects together. I think that they understand that there's a very large network and point of connectivity between people across the globe through technology that elder generations don't necessarily fully embrace or even understand. Mm -hmm. And understanding those concepts is extremely important for pushing technology further, faster. The, the purpose needs to be there. The, the soul needs to be there. They understand it. But when you actually try to teach them how to use that software to connect to other people or to make products for people that live on digital devices, 
they don't necessarily have that capability. I don't say this, you know, as a blanket comment, but for example, I had to stop a lecture so I could teach someone how to use Windows. And this was, I don't know, 21 year old person. To, to have to stop in my tracks and to teach them that very basic thing that we consider basic, or at least something that is just automatic, should be automatic to them, kind of stopped me in my tracks. And I realized like, yes, they are digital natives and their efficacy, their skills are relegated to specific devices. It, and it's not a blanket universal application. So I had to stop and, and teach the entire class how to do even some just really basic Windows activities. Like, for example, you know how on a, you, you know this, I know you know it, when you are teaching students anything in OS X and you hit Apple and tab, right, to switch between programs, mm -hmm. that is a really common fixture in Windows now. Right. But they don't understand it. And perhaps most importantly, because this grinds my gears a bit, they are not using the keyboard for anything ever. Control C, Control V, copy, paste, Control Z. No, the mouse, file, undo. And so I think that, you know, long story short, their capabilities are specific to certain devices mm -hmm. and applications. Yeah. Now it's super interesting to hear that. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, we always assume, we make these assumptions about digital literacy, and it's not always the case. So they're not using the keyboards. They're not aware of the full capabilities of the software and technology. And, you know, I try to spend a lot of time teaching the students, like, you have a, a very specific awareness of how technology is used and to what extent it can be used, mm -hmm. figuratively, but not literally. Yeah. And I teach logic to artists, left brain thinking with, with right brain people. And some people take to it, some people don't. And by logic, I mean HTML, CSS, JavaScript, PHP, things like that. Mm -hmm. And some of them take to it, some of them don't, but at least they, they understand how it works. And, you know, in, in, in that specific context, one of the things that I have to do is I have to provide metaphor or comparisons for, for certain things. So for example, HTML is the scaffolding, is the, the framework of your house, and CSS is the bricks, and, and JavaScript makes the window move up and down. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and so they, they tend to get that. But I mean, I'll be honest with you, that's been my struggle ever since I've been teaching interactive design, and I've been teaching it since 2009. So. It, it's cross-generational, I think, yeah. in, at least in that context. Yeah, and I think, I mean, that leads into interesting, an interesting conversation surrounding UX and UI design for sure, because again, you know, when you're teaching this or you're encouraging students to design things that they are so familiar with, it's amazing how much they do on autopilot so they don't actually realize how things work behind that screen. So that, I always find that fascinating. But again, we digress. But th these are so many good conversations, though, which I'd love to have. So one thing I always tell my students is the road to brilliance is, is paved by absurdity, is silliness. And part of that silliness is, is curiosity. Mm -hmm. And 
to be a competent and, and capable designer, let alone interactive designer, you have to be curious. You have to be willing to put yourselves in, in a situation where you don't know the answer. And I find a lot of timidity with students to do exactly that. And I would say most of my time is just really trying to encourage people. If they are always zigging, to I zag. want them to zag. Yeah. And, and I spend so much time talking about that. And, and when they let their guard down and what they learn from that experience, it can be profoundly transformative, mm -hmm. no matter how simple or complex it is. I think those that take to that sort of philosophy of curiosity have better careers, have better products, have better deliverables, have better skills, have better ways of thinking about not just the world, but the work that they do. And they have a better way of thinking about the future tense of their talents and, and capabilities. Mm -hmm. I think that that is something that is maybe missing, especially through the pandemic, because imagination can lead to some very bleak outcomes, you know, especially pre-vaccine. 